This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you can listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from rarely sunny Massachusetts. I write the blog called Law Sites, another blog called Media Law, and also for Law.com, it's Legal Blog Watch. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Today's topic, we're going to be talking about uh, celebrities, and we've been fascinated by celebrities throughout history. From Marilyn Monroe to recently Anna Nicole Smith, society's intrigued by the rise and fall of celebrities. Well, recently, uh, hotel heiress Paris Hilton was in the news when she was sentenced to a 23 to 45-day jail sentence for violating the terms of her probation in an alcohol-related reckless driving case. And famed Beatles record producer Phil Spector is on trial for allegedly killing a guest in his home, Anna actress Lana Clarkson, in 2003. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to be discussing celebrity criminal cases, these and other similar cases. Why is the public so fascinated with seeing our stars in trouble? Is there special treatment when it comes to celebrities faced with legal problems? Or is it just the opposite? Does media coverage help or hurt a case? And how does it affect the image of the celebrity client? We'll look at some of the current cases in the news and take a look back at some of the more high-profile cases involving celebrities. Well, I'd like to welcome our first guest, Attorney Tom Mesereau. Tom is one of the most celebrated trial lawyers in America. He specializes in criminal defense in both state and federal court and some civil trials. Uh, Attorney Mesereau defends corporations and individuals accused of white-collar crimes, individuals charged with violent crimes, and professionals, including medical doctors and lawyers, faced with various allegations in civil, administrative, and criminal courts. Tom is a partner in the law firm of Mesereau and You in Los Angeles, He uh, famously acquitted music legend Michael Jackson of all counts in a highly publicized trial in Santa Maria, California. Welcome to the show, Tom. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Also joining us today is Attorney Jennifer Keller. Uh, Jennifer Keller has more than 27 years of experience as a criminal defense lawyer in Southern California. She's tried more than 150 cases to jury verdict, including some of the highest profile cases in Orange and Los Angeles counties. Through the majority of her practice is dedicated to criminal defense. She also handles civil cases with criminal overtones and parallel uh, proceedings parallel to her clients' criminal cases. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you. Well, here's a question for both of you. Do you uh, have any kind of sense of why the public is so fascinated with celebrities in legal proceedings? Well, the public's always been fascinated with celebrities in legal proceedings. Um, the L.A. Times had an article this weekend about a silent movie star in 1912 who was incarcerated for um, 30 days in the Orange County Jail for speeding. She was going 55 miles an hour through Santa Ana. And it attracted such attention that uh, when she was ordered jailed, the judge showed up the first day with a bouquet of flowers. She was serenaded by rotating groups of young men from local fraternities. A furniture store sent over an entire bedroom set for herself. A restaurant offered three catered meals a day, and the log showed that during her period there she had 848 visitors. And that was in 1912. 
before the widespread dissemination of, of um, the media that we have now. So <clears throat> there's always been a fascination with, with uh, particularly movie stars, television stars, who have gotten into the same kind of problems that ordinary people get into. The difference now is that we get it 24-7. Uh, we're saturated with it. Tom, any thoughts to add to that? Well, yeah, I think um, uh, this whole fascination with celebrities, which uh, engulfs uh, not just Los Angeles but the entire country, has generated uh, you know so many stations competing with one another for some type of copy and some type of sensational story that it's really gotten a little bit out of hand. Uh, you mentioned Paris Hilton. I think that one of the uh, unfortunate uh, realities of this whole Paris Hilton story is that you see a lot of mean-spiritedness, um, particularly on television. I mean, you see people uh, almost salivating that this um, uh, you know, wealthy heiress is going to jail, and it's, uh, it, it, it says a lot about human nature. I think on the one hand, you have got a great fascination with celebrities. People sort of envision them and dream about them as living uh, very exciting and colorful and daring lives. And on the other hand, we have a certain mean-spiritedness in our society that likes to see people who have risen high just collapse and fall. And um, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a phenomenon that's here to stay, but it uh, does raise some uh, complex and troubling issues about the world we live in. Well, you've both uh, represented uh, plenty of non-celebrities as well as your share of celebrities. Uh, let me start with you, Tom, and ask, how does, how does representing a celebrity change, change the game for you as the lawyer in the case? Well, um, uh, it, it changes the game in the sense that there are so many potential distractions. First of all, celebrities are attacked with resources that ordinary people uh, do not face. Uh, in the um, Robert Blake case, you, uh, the LAPD, the Los Angeles Police Department, was bragging that uh, this was the most heavily investigated case in Los Angeles history, that they'd put more resources into the case than they did in the O.J. Simpson case. And you had police traveling all over the United States, generating hundreds of thousands of pages of documents uh, uh, in ways that, that, that your ordinary person would not face. And Michael Jackson, of course, you had uh, unbelievable resources thrown at him. You had nine fingerprint experts, uh, which, you know, I've never seen in a capital case. You had 70 sheriffs raiding his home uh, in one of many raids. And you had uh, just, just things done to try and, uh, try and get him convicted that, that other people don't face. So there's a misnomer out there that celebrities, because of their wealth and resources, uh, can get a better defense. That is true, but they face enormous resources that other people don't face. Jennifer, how about you? What what kinds of differences do you see in representing celebrities over over the uh, the non famous uh, uh, client? Well, as Tom said, <clears throat> the investiture of resources by law enforcement is is going to be tenfold. But in addition to that, the other distractions often come from the inside. Um, usually, the celebrity client <clears throat> has is surrounded by a coterie of people. There is going to be a business manager, a publicist, an entertainment lawyer, a business lawyer. Um, financial advisors, on and on and on, as well as many, many hangers-on who are essentially parasites living off of the celebrity. And these can be family members, friends, the, the posse, the entourage. <clears throat> and everybody wants a piece of that celebrity, and they all want to keep in contact. Their currency is their closeness to the celebrity. So when you have a criminal case, they all have advice for this person, and every one of them knows a lawyer who knows a lawyer who knows a lawyer who wants into the case 
wants to put a nose under the tent, wants to be able to write later that I was part of the celebrity's trial team, wants to be on television. And so you have a distraction of, of sometimes literally dozens of people uh, offering unsolicited advice. And, of course, the celebrity is often used to being told whatever he or she wants to hear. So you may have somebody who comes in and says, my brother-in-law says that he knows a lawyer who can get this case put in federal court, and then a federal judge who's a friend of his will dismiss it. And no matter how preposterous that is, the celebrity desperately wants to believe it, does believe it, and begins to uh, agitate for you to pull off this maneuver or to bring this other lawyer in who may be a very marginal character um, who has absolutely no idea what he's doing. Those sorts of distractions are ongoing in representing any celebrity, and it's what makes it very, very important that the lawyer at the outset um, try to maintain as much control as possible and make it very, very clear that that sort of behavior um, is not going to be tolerated. But that's easier said than done. How do you find dealing in the judicial system with celebrities? Do you feel that the court system, the judges, are more prone to give the case attention, or do they try to really treat it as even-handedly as the rest of the cases that they deal with? Well, I've seen one judge who actually applied makeup before every court appearance, and and this was a guy. <laughs> and very good judge, by the way, but uh, was carefully backstage, as it were, applying his makeup and doing his hair to make sure that he looked good. Um, of course, we saw Judge Ito during the Simpson trial, who everybody seemed to think highly of before that trial, um, entertaining celebrity guests while the trial was ongoing, uh, entertaining these people back in his chambers. And, and there's a tendency all of us have, and not just judges, but the lawyers, the witnesses, everyone, to find that the lens of the media in these high-profile cases is very, very distorting. Well, that, of course, raises the, 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 the number one argument against against cameras in the courtroom. Uh, and there are still uh, some courts, at least in this country, that, that don't allow cameras in them. Uh, what is your take on how having cameras in the courtroom affects the, the, the flow and outcome of a trial? I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, if I were a member of the public, I probably would like it because it does give, give you a view into the justice system that, um, uh, that you ordinarily would not have, because even though we have public trials, you know, most courtrooms are pretty small. However, as a defense attorney, I have to say I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, in the Robert Blake preliminary hearing, I did ask for cameras, and I thought they helped our case very well, because uh, we were able to show a lot of problems with their case, expose a lot of their weaknesses as, as, as having a lot of problems. And uh, it turned public opinion towards Blake uh, in a way that probably wouldn't have happened uh, but for the cameras. In Jackson, I was against cameras. I wanted to tone everything down. And uh, my biggest fear of that cameras is that witnesses will be affected by what they see on television. We normally have witness exclusion orders where a witness is not allowed to watch the trial and be affected by the testimony of another witness. But that pretty much goes out the door if you televise trials, because even if you ask potential witnesses not to watch television, they very, very well may do that. Um, it also can affect uh, the behavior of judges and lawyers. Uh, I have a feeling that um, in this day and age that people are getting a little more used to the fact that, uh, that, that celebrity trials uh, do generate public interest and may be televised. But nevertheless, 
Uh, unfortunately, human beings, uh, whether they're lawyers or not, uh, sometimes try to behave differently with cameras, and that's a problem. Let's take a look at the Paris Hilton case. Is the 23 to 45-day sentence that she received for the third violation of driving on a suspended license a typical sentence? Do you think the judge is being hard on her because of her reputation? Typical sentence. Um, The statute actually provides in California that if you're even a first offense, if you're driving on a suspended license due to a DUI, the mandatory minimum is 10 days, and that's for a first offense. And for a third offense, it's 30. So, um, and then not to mention the fact that she's in violation of her probation on the DUI. So she, that's a very, very typical sentence. And in some judges, I would think, would find it a little light for somebody who um, was showing a rather large amount of impunity toward the court in that there was a notice from the last time she was cited for driving on a suspended license sitting on the passenger seat when she was stopped for the third one. So um, her argument that she didn't know any better uh, was really destined to fall on deaf ears after that. It was a typical sentence. I think the judge gave her no more, no no less than he would give anybody else. How how do you, uh, as a lawyer, handle the the quarterbacking from the sidelines that goes on when you have a high-profile case that's in the media glare? I mean, look at the Spectre case. It's it's being... uh, shown on, on court TV now. Uh, any number of commentators are, are, are watching and judging the actions of the lawyer and the judges and everybody else. It, 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 does that affect you at all as a lawyer in a high-profile case? Tom has never faced that, have you, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jennifer and I have talked about this problem for years, and the bottom line, and I think Jennifer will agree with what I'm saying, is that uh, you have to totally ignore it. These cases are one in the courtroom. They're not one outside the courtroom. That doesn't mean that you ignore public relations or media. Obviously, you'd like to get good information about your client if you can. You'd like to have balanced legal analysts if you can, or even analysts who might uh, be saying positive things about your side. But if you get too carried away with that stuff, you're going to lose focus and you're going to lose time that you need to spend on 13 people, that's 12 jurors and a judge. They're the ones that you're going to win the case with. And in the Jackson case, I uh, you know, would watch some of this during a, a break uh, and usually be just appalled at the uh, absolutely you know, ignorant, uh, amateurish kind of commentary that was going on, usually from people who weren't even in the courtroom. And it's just something that you really have to ignore and not, not care about. And, and yet, does, does your client ever bring it back to you? I mean, is your client watching the same stuff and saying, well, that commentator says you should have. Uh, what do you do then? Yes, that does happen. <laughs> and, and as Jennifer mentioned before, there's so many hangers-ons and managers and agents and you know advisors and consultants hanging around the client, and they can cause a problem because you raise an interesting point, you know, Entertainment celebrities have been reared in the entertainment industry, and they often think that what's happening in the media is what's happening in the courtroom. They don't know that they're two very, very different places. So, yes, they will be affected by people saying, uh, why isn't your lawyer responding to this particular analyst? Uh, They think that's the trial, uh, which is one of the great things about a gag order. If you have a gag order in a case, you can always tell the client or the people around the client, I can't respond. We have to focus on the courtroom and win the case in the courtroom. Well, and the the whole syndrome is really encouraged by a 
a, a new breed of people who are them, making themselves into celebrities, and that's celebrity lawyer celebrities. <laughs> and many of these people who are not very good in the courtroom and actually don't do a very good job for their clients and, and may lose trial after trial that are winnable, um, <clears throat> preach to other lawyers and to the public at large that trials are won or lost in the media. And they'll, they'll position themselves as people who are masters at spinning the media. Then if they lose a trial, they say it's because somebody else manipulated the media in the wrong way, and uh, <laughs> they, they, uh, they manage to, to turn it into both a, a shield and a sword. But it, it's, Tom is right. Um, what most of those people have lost sight of is the trials, despite the, the prominence and, and the influence of the media, are still won or lost in front of 12 people inside a courtroom. And um, Tom has never lost sight of that. But, but do you discount the idea that, that the media, that a lawyer can use the media to advantage at times? No, of course they can. But um, I think that they're, I think the ability of the media to influence trial jurors is vastly overrated. I absolutely agree with Jennifer. Uh, you know, if you look at media predictions of high-profile cases, they're usually wrong. Look at O.J. Simpson, Robert Blake, look at Michael Jackson... In the Scott Peterson case, the majority of the media were predicting a hung jury or acquittal. So you can uh, you can work the media and do a great job of getting people on your side and, uh, and and have them saying nice things about you, and then lose it where it counts, and that's the courtroom. Conversely, you can uh, you can have the media against you and looking for a conviction to generate more sensationalism and more stories about sentencing and about prison and things of that sort, and they can be completely off base. In the Jackson case, Robert Shapiro was on TV while the verdict was pending, saying he was 100% certain there was going to be a guilty verdict. And uh, and uh, even some very good lawyer commentators were uh, swayed by that kind of commentary, and it became a feeding frenzy, and soon they were showing pictures of the jail cell where Jackson would be held before he went to prison. <clears throat> so, um, and as, as Tom said, and Scott Peterson... They were all saying Mark Garagos had done a fabulous job, outclassed the prosecution, and there was going to be an acquittal. Um, <laughs> so uh, the influence of the media is important, probably more in the court of public opinion than it is in the courtroom. How do you go about managing your client's appearance in court, your client's timeliness of, of showing up for appearances? Paris Hilton arrived late for one of her appearances. It's happened in other celebrity cases. Uh, Phil Spector himself has, you know, sometimes good hairdos and sometimes bad hair days. Uh, there's a, how do you manage that, and how does it affect the outcome of the trial? Well, I mean, obviously, you, you want your client to understand that uh, he or she has to show total respect for the court, total respect for the process, and total respect for the jury. And... Um, Sometimes it's uh, it's easier said than done, but uh, I know that uh, before I got in the Jackson case, he was late uh, for his first court appearance and was uh, severely dressed down by the judge. When I got in the case, uh, you know, I was very, very diligent um, uh, in trying to make sure that that, that entire atmosphere changed, and indeed uh, during the... Uh, the arraignment, uh, the second arraignment that I was involved in, uh, he was on time. He was actually early. Um, it was a very different uh, 
environment. Now, during the trial, as everyone knows, there was this infamous, uh, uh, I think, unfortunately, titled Pajama Day, which uh, I think was, was, was built way out of proportion. He was at a hospital. I informed uh, his bailiff and the judge immediately where he was and the doctor's name and the doctor's number. Uh, the judge got very firm because he wanted to make sure he was uh, not losing control of this case, which had all the earmarks of a uh, of a circus if he did get at, let it get out of control, which he never did. And he ordered him there in an hour, um, and I nervously, uh, you know, waited for him to get there because I did not want to see him, uh, you know, <laughs> remanded to jail and his uh, his bail, you know, <laughs> bail revoked. So. Um, uh, the jury, however, never uh, knew about that, uh, never saw the pajama bottoms. He was wearing a jacket. And in response to the other part of your, your question, um, uh, you do want your client to be who the client is. You want them to certainly show respect, uh, dressed in, dress in a respectful manner. On the other hand, you don't want your client to be a fake because jurors are going to smell a fake. And Michael Jackson uh, has his way of dressing, uh, it's uh, it's very uh, original and different, and I wanted him to be exactly who he is at every day of that trial. And uh, I would get letters and uh, silly calls from people saying, "Why don't you put a Brooks Brothers suit and a Paisley tie on him?" And uh, you know, this was just ridiculous. That wasn't who he was. And if he tried to be phony, people would know it. Well, it's time for us to take a short break. When we return, we're going to get some final thoughts from our guests. We'll be right back. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network podcasts are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayapleasethecourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrogi's blog at legalline.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. 
We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. We'd like to welcome back our guests, Attorney Tom Mesereau and Attorney Jennifer Keller, talking about celebrity trials. Jennifer, let me just ask, uh, what about the, the issue of, of jury selection in a celebrity trial? How do you, are, are, are there special concerns? How do you deal with that? Well, there are special concerns. It's a very tricky area, um, particularly now because in addition to all the all the usual problems you have selecting a jury and trying to get behind the the uh, often disingenuous answers, you also have the layer of wondering, does this juror want to be on this trial because the juror is planning to write a book or because the juror wants himself or herself to be a celebrity? And um, obviously, if that's the case, the outcome can be skewed very quickly. So... Um, you want jurors who are not starstruck. On the other hand, you want jurors who understand that the celebrity is facing a, a special set of issues and, and may actually be facing a more prejudicial environment than a non-celebrity. It's a very, very, very difficult um, additional consideration. Tom, how about you? Do you have thoughts on that? Well, I agree with everything Jennifer just said, and uh, of course... Uh, uh, the motives of the potential juror are uh, very problematic in a case like like uh, like that of a celebrity, and and jurors begin to uh, at times think of themselves as celebrities. Um, and there are jurors who have served on celebrity cases who um, uh, discover they're tremendously in demand after the verdict. Uh, they're in the, in the case of the Jackson case, they were they were flown to New York uh, that night. To appear on uh, Good Morning America, and there were all sorts of interview requests, and and um, uh, then uh, you saw a couple of months later a few jurors uh, wanting publicity and coming out and saying that maybe they rendered the wrong decision, and uh, it was obvious to me that they really missed uh, the excitement of that case and didn't want it to go away. Uh, so you know, human beings are affected by the. Uh, the limelight. They're affected by cameras. They're affected by, by the idea they're in a very unique position in life. And uh, it's, it's very tricky. It's very problematic. You do want jurors that you really believe are going to follow the judge's instructions, uh, take their job very, very seriously, and not be prejudiced by what's happening outside the courtroom. So, so we have judges applying makeup, 24-7 uh, uh, news coverage, uh, jurors uh, becoming celebrities in themselves. I mean, how does this all add up? Can celebrities get a fair trial? Well, you know, if you look at the, the verdicts in the high-profile cases um, that we've been discussing, for the most part, those verdicts are very rational verdicts. They're, they're, they make a lot of sense. <clears throat> the public was up in arms over the O.J. Simpson verdict, but if you really looked at what happened in that trial, uh, those jurors did not come up with an irrational judgment. And... Uh, the same with Robert Blake, the same with Michael Jackson, and the same with Scott Peterson. Those were all very reasonable verdicts um, that were not necessarily the ones that the media would have predicted. So the jury, the jury system 
still works in celebrity trials, but the lawyer has to work much, much harder and be much more conscious of the myriad of things that can go wrong in order to do an adequate job representing the client. I'm sure in the course of representing celebrities, you've taken some lessons about the way you handle your other cases. What advice would you offer to lawyers that don't handle celebrity cases uh, of some things that you've learned from what have happened in your celebrity cases that you've both handled? Tom? Well, you know, I was asked after the Jackson verdict, um, you know, what is the most important case you've ever handled? And I said, um, Every case is the most important case. You know, to that client, it's their life, their freedom that's on the line. They're going through a nightmarish situation, and you have to uh, understand that everybody's life is uh, equally as important as, as everyone else's. And uh, I think you have to uh, focus on every case uh, uh, as if someone's life is in your hands, and uh, you have ethical and professional obligations to do your best to uh, protect their freedom and, uh, and, and, and life. So I don't... Uh, see too much to learn from celebrity trials to apply to non-celebrity cases other than that everyone's life is important. We're just about at the end of our time and uh, wanted to give you each an opportunity to offer final thoughts on this topic and also to tell our listeners how they can find out more about you or get in touch with you if they care to do that. Uh, So, uh, Tom, let's start with you. Well, you know, we have a justice system that is the best system in the world. It has a lot of problems. It makes mistakes. Uh, it can never be a perfect system, but it is the best in the world. We have to respect it, we have to honor it, and we have to constantly look for ways to improve it. And how can our listeners uh, find out more about you, should they care to? I'm in Los Angeles. My number is 310-789-1177. Thank you. And Jennifer Keller? Well, I think that being a criminal defense attorney is one of the most challenging and rewarding things any lawyer can do because every single day we are dealing with exactly what Tom talked about. We're dealing with human lives on the line. And I love this, I love this profession, and, and I think that uh, we will weather the storms <laughs> of celebrity trials, and uh, hopefully, eventually, they'll get to be perhaps so super-saturated in the media that nobody will pay as much attention anymore and we'll be able to get back to the business of just representing our clients. Um, if people want to contact me, they can contact me through my email, which is jkeller at prodigy.net, or they can contact me. I'm in the phone book here in uh, Irvine, California, so um, or through State Bar member records online at the California State Bar. Any of those ways are good ways to get in touch with me. All right. Well, thank you very much to our guests. We appreciate your taking this time uh, on a very timely topic. Good to talk to you all. Craig, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And Craig, we'll talk next week. Very good. See you then. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.